In this episode, you'll hear all you need to know to figure out how to sell a product that your competitors can't and how to address the segments of a market that is emerging that others can't see and the resources and planning needed to compete in the connection economy. This is Digital Bacon FM. Yes, it is the weekday brunch. Mike Oldfield, Moonlight Shadow, The Cause, What Can I Do? And before that, Paul McCartney, No More Lonely Nights, bringing us to just after 10 a Monday. Joining us on the line, our marketing guru and all-around good guy, Stephen Barnes. Hello, Mr. Black. How the hell are you? Not too shabby. Still trying to warm up. The studio is at about two degrees, snow on the mountains. It's been a Mozambique weekend. Ooh, rather than me, mate, you know, my uh, philosophy towards cold weather, I prefer the uh, heat and humidity of Hong Kong any day of the week. So we are picking up from last week, competing against non-consumption. Well, yeah, so quick, quick sort of, you know, backgrounder, uh, how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested, the story of the Hong Kong Visa Center, Power of Free, uh, which is uh, 108 videos, I think, that uh, sets out uh, in granular detail how to build that monopoly. Um, and uh, over the last few weeks and months, you and I have been working down into the next level of detail mm. uh, via an initiative called the Monopoly Planner. And uh, the Monopoly Planner uh, itself has got uh, 36 chapters across 10 modules. And we're just moving into module two, uh, being chapter four, uh, which is all predicated on the work of um, uh, Professor Clay Christensen, which we talked about last week in the context of uh, disruptive innovation. And uh, his theories and uh, those theories, as I've experienced them, about how you configure your uh, connection economy business model to essentially uh, start off by competing against non-consumption. Okay, explain that. Non-consumption. So, yeah, non-consumption is um, it's where there exists a need in the marketplace uh, that's clear and manifest, but no provider has stepped into the marketplace to actually um, deliver that proposition, uh, which ultimately, as you know, from a connection economy perspective, is to answer questions and help solve problems. Mm. So, um, okay, let me be more tangible. What, what is competing against non-consumption? So let me put it this way. Um, seven years ago, when Martin and I, my business partner Martin and I, um, needed to move back into Hong Kong immigration in a, in a, in a profound way, um, we knew that because of our careers till that point in time, we knew that we'd be competing against some very, very big um, incumbent uh, players, one of whom I'd been a founding partner of, the other I spent two and a half years consulting to. So I said, well, I knew what they were all about. And uh, if we had tried to establish our proposition, um, classic industrial economy sort of competitive terms, we, you know, we'd, they'd have wiped the floor with us. So what we came to understand is that our sort of back door into the marketplace would be to not compete against the big players in immigration services on their turf. What we needed to do was to compete against the non-consumption that certain parts of our marketplace were um, essentially non-consuming. They didn't have what they needed to be able to solve their problem or have their question answered. And therefore, um, by competing against that vacuum of um, 
of information and uh, and resources to help bring about solutions to problems, we would be able to, um, in a sense, uh, compete against our major competitors because our major competitors weren't addressing that non-consumption dynamic. They were just leading them to get on with what they were doing and focusing on the main game, which was the, the large corporate immigration play. So how did we compete against non-consumption? Well, what we did was that we looked at the marketplace and uh, we realized that you know, the market was split into two different types. There was the individual services market and the corporate services market. Now, the corporate services market, I may have mentioned previously, is 85% of the market value, and the individual immigration services space is just 15% of the market value. But in the individual immigration services space, there's three or four particular types of individuals that have got specific immigration problems that if you went onto the internet seven years ago and looked, you know, tried to identify solutions to the problems that those people were facing or uh, sophisticated, well-respected answers to the questions that have been actually raised when you have those problems and you head off to the internet to look for solutions before you go, before you do anything else. Because we knew that, you know, those particular individuals, such as um, uh, people with employment visas, uh, people have employment visas in Hong Kong, their circumstances change, they may want to change employer. Uh, one of the, you know, the spouse may have died who's holding the employment visa or any number of different scenarios that could present themselves as, as needing sophisticated answers for so that you can make some informed decisions about solutions. Um, those people with work visa problems, we're not able to get those answers answers from the internet not not in any realist in any any sort of you know fathomable um sophisticated professional sense there was kind of you know ad hoc information available via the immigration department's website and and some you know checkered information pot, uh, potted pat, packed or potted amongst you know some of the other immigration services providers websites but not really drilling down on giving giving you know germane detailed answers to what are very real problems for people who have employment visas here. So, so we recognize that one category of person that made up the individual immigration services market with those people have work visa problems. Another category of people that had um, problems that were not being properly addressed via the web uh, was uh, foreign national entrepreneurs, both those who were not residents of Hong Kong but wanted to come to establish a joint in the business in Hong Kong, or perhaps they had been here in Hong Kong with, say, holding a working visa, but they wanted to start their own business and they would need immigration permissions to go about, you know, joining in those new businesses. So there was another category of individual that, uh, that we, we, we basically we, we would be competing against non-consumption for. Um, foreign national uh, residents of Hong Kong, as you know from experience, Jason, if you've been here for more than seven years, you can apply to change your immigration status from what is essentially a temporary residence visa through to a permanent residence visa. Those are all individuals who we were competing, who, who had a need for the kind of information that we had. Um, if we published it, we would then be able to create those relationships and we would ultimately be competing against non-consumption. That is, those relationships would come to us, they wouldn't go to our competitor. Okay, so, so I have a, a, a question and I'm going to try and, and frame it in another way that will make sense to me. So you had a look at who your your competitors were in the market and you had a look at a market that they were not addressing. Basically, the 15% of the 100% big businesses said, right, we're going to go for the big slice of the pie. We're going to have the 85%. We're not going to bother about the small parts because it's too small for large companies like us to address. So you went for the easy, the easy one 
if you will say that, because it wasn't you 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 had no real competition. You identified a niche that needed to be serviced, and you were small enough to be able to do that. Now, with them having the eighty five percent share and that being the lion's share of the business, is there any merit to them to even worrying about the fifteen percent? Now I'm going to give you an analogy. You manufacture cars and you manufacture cars in uh, Asia, for example, and you have a look at Vietnam and you say, well, we sell cars, but a certain percentage of the population goes about on mopeds. Should we as a car manufacturer make mopeds or should we stick to our knitting and let the moped people do mopeds? Well, it depends how you define your market. If your market is the market for cars, then you're not going to go into mopeds, right? You're going to continue to manufacture cars, but you might think about a market that would represent be represented in uh, people who have mopeds that want something that's a, a step up from a car, a step up from a moped that, that isn't yet a car that would serve the same function well, as a car well, but give you all the utility and the cost of, say, a moped. Well, there's, there's, so there's my question. You, you're looking at it as a manufacturer. I'm looking at it as a provider of transport. So I can't, as a, as a transport provider who makes cars, would I look at the small population of people who still use transport but choose a moped? So that's how I'm trying well, to split the 85-15. Okay, in broad terms, you could think like that. But if you're not in the business of making mopeds, why would you go into the business of making mopeds, right? You just can, you just assume that your market for cars is one market and the, the other market is a market for mopeds. Okay, so in my so, scenario, it's very difficult. It's very different. It's still an immigration permission. It's still it's it's still an immigration permission. It's just that the incumbent providers in my marketplace were focused on the 85% of the cookie cutter um, uh, corporate market where mm. they have the well well entrenched, well established relationships that we would never be able to usurp by uh, coming along with something new and interesting. Not not initially, at least. So we understood that while the um, while the market providers had the absolute capability to be able to supply the individual immigration services market, they, through their legacy arrangements or the way that they strategically position themselves, essentially overlooked that market. They'd certainly take on any business that came their, came their way that came their way that was in the individual immigration services space. But critically, what they hadn't done is they hadn't addressed their mind to the fact that there was a very real niche out there mm. comprising those kinds of people that I've just explained to you who were floundering around wondering what the hell they were supposed to do whenever an immigration problem sort of landed on their lap. Mm. So now what we've done is because we've recognized that that dynamic in the marketplace exists and we understand the, the characteristics of those individuals and we know what kind of problems that they've got, what we've done is we've produced a proposition, an information proposition that essentially delivers those relationships into our hands. And now we can sell them immigration services for those people who decided that you know they want to pay for professional help rather than doing it by themselves, which is you know completely available to them as a result of the way that we've positioned our content um, uh, proper proposition on the web. Mm, okay. Right. I understand non-consumption. Right. Okay. So, so Clay, Clay Christensen says you should compete against non-consumption. And um, in a sense, that's kind of what we're doing now with intelligent content marketing as well. There are 
we know there are plenty of individuals out there, no doubt many of your listeners who have got uh, a business of their own or they're thinking about a business of their own. They are um, competing against others at one level or another using industrial economy sort of you know business models. Um, now they've got an opportunity to you know uh, do things new uh, in a new and interesting way via a connection economy proposition. Mm. We have all the experience ourselves over the course of the last seven years to be able to um, impart our knowledge and know-how to all those individuals that want to do the kind of stuff that, that we're doing. Uh, and in that regard, we're producing completely for free all the tools, the information, everything you could possibly ever need to adopt this kind of connection economy business model for, for yourself uh, in your own uh, preferred niche. Uh, and in that regard, because out there there is no doubt uh, – uh, you know, a marketplace of people who want to do something in the connection economy that don't really have a clear understanding about how to go about doing it. And um, uh, they don't know where they might find information to guide and steer their thinking about how to, to go about doing it. Um, in that regard, for intelligent content marketing, we're competing in, against non-consumption too by giving all that information away for free and creating relationships in the process. And ultimately, as I mentioned to you previously, uh, selling an information product uh, for two and a half thousand US dollars, which um, uh, which will give them ultimately everything they could ever possibly need to uh, emulate what uh, what we've done with our um, with our proposition thus far. Okay, now to put the shoe on the other foot, you've created a business with no real competition. You've closed the barriers to entry by dominating uh, your content platforms, and you've created more than a million dollar business, US dollar business. Would your business grow to a size? where the bigger companies will look and say, hang on, that little bastard's stolen a march on us. How do we get back into that game? Or is it still too small for them and they don't see you coming to take their big slice of the pie? Well, uh, that right now we're, we're way too small for them. They just they just they just see as a as a gnat on the, on the back of an elephant, right? It's neither here nor there to them. Mm. Given that our major competitor does more than a billion dollars a year in revenues, uh, and we do one million, um, clearly we're of absolutely no concern to them today. Mm. But the reality is what you're doing when you're doing the kind of stuff that we're doing is you're you're mapping out what the future is going to look like. And you don't have to be Albert Einstein to know that, uh, you know, if you look at the way that uh, your profession runs today and you expect it's going to run exactly the same 15 or 20 years from now, um, that that's likelihood is not going to be the case at all. You know, mm. things are changing. They're changing at a rate of knots. So the trick to get to the point of, you know, the question that you've raised, the, the trick is to come up with a very, very compelling proposition that quite could very very quite possibly represent the future of how you know a particular service is experienced or a particular product or good goods is, is sold and delivered um, uh, going forward and mm. um, everything is up for grabs and uh, to the extent that the major competitors are looking at you or are not looking at you well if they're looking at you it means that they, they respect what you're all about and they're learning about you if they're not looking um if they're not looking at you it means they're ignoring you they're not taking you seriously and frankly the longer you have um you know uh, the opportunity to sort of do what you do on a on a without having to to worry about what your, your major well-resourced competitors are up to, uh, the longer you've got to create um, such barriers to entry that when the competitors do wake up to what you're all about, 
the only uh, the only positive sort of response they've got to that is to come and buy you because they can't get what they need to what you to do what you do any other way. And if you're the only one that's uh, that's in the park doing the things that way you do, and you've proven yourself to be successful, and it represents a, a strategic sort of competitive threat going forward, then uh, then these guys that uh, are your competitors are ultimately going to have to pay you big time in order to. Uh, get access to what you have achieved, you know, while they weren't paying attention. And is that your strategy? Well, that's where we are, right? And, uh, you know, we've focused on the individual immigration services space. That's done now. And uh, we're ten- trending monopoly in, in all the key areas on that one. We'll take some time before we can truly say that we have a complete monopoly. But then again, a monopoly is only, from my perspective, 50% market share in any event. You can only ever get 50% of a market, I believe. So, uh, so to, to that extent, the individual immigration service space is very much trending to monopoly right now for us, thankfully. Um, but, you know, we're not standing still. Uh, we are turning our guns to the the 85% of the market now, which is the corporate space, where we've essentially taken all the lessons learned in the, in the, in the individual immigration services space and uh, put, uh, put a new proposition on the web that allows companies to uh, use our know-how and our knowledge and our experience for free, which, as I've mentioned previously, is really all about uh, the catalyst to creating new relationships and having conversations with these prospective customers and, and stealing that business away from the incumbents who are still doing what they've always done uh, in the age-old way. Mm. Now, I know, I know you um, are all about free and you can't compete against free, as you say. In the corporate space, if you started offering stuff for free, how would they compete? Well, there you go. They can't. Ultimately, what they do is they, you know, lay, they, they will lay claim to other value differentiations. You know, then they say, ah, oh, well, you know, uh, sure, those guys do it for free. Yeah, they know what they're talking about. But those guys, you know, don't have the ability to, let's say, in the course of a big four competitor, they don't have the ability to offer tax advice in the four, in, in, along with the um, with the immigration advice, which mm. is fair enough. Sure. Or, you know, the, the outfit that I previously, you know, actually the two outfits that I previously spent time with, they, they might say, ah, but we've got a global network, so you can come to us, and it doesn't matter which, uh, which jurisdiction you want to send your people to, whether it's Hong Kong, Singapore, South Africa, any jurisdiction, you just have to deal with a single, single source provider. So, you know, don't worry about Hong Kong. We can take care of Hong Kong for you. Um, yeah, those guys can do it for free, but those guys don't offer, you know, 90-odd jurisdictions like we do. So that would be their, their retort to that. Mm. Okay. So all of those, all of those are you know pretty reasonable responses, but mm. none of that undermines the essence of what we're doing, which is creating a highly disruptive new way of de- delivering immigration solutions in the connection economy. Um, having packed up our tent on the industrial economy and gone home a long, long time ago, um, we're doing new stuff. What we're doing is is, is indicative of what the future looks like. Um, and doesn't reflect what went on in the past. To the extent that uh, we're able to spend this time now uh, competing against non-consumption and not having to worry about our competitors, well, that just gives us the time that we need to consolidate uh, and continue to improve on and learn the things that we need to learn as a result of monopoly building that will give us uh, an, an incredibly valuable immediate business in terms of what it's worth 
as, as regards generating revenues in the Hong Kong context, but the applicability of all of these ideas and not, like, not least the technology that we've developed and other things that will mean that uh, these um, um, methods can be applied in other jurisdictions going forward. And ultimately, that's the long-term strategic value of what, uh, of what we're doing in Hong Kong Visa Center. All right. So where do we go after discussing non-consumption? Um, well, uh, I think what we could probably do is talk about what we're going to talk about next week right. um, rather than get into it now because mm. I think we've just finished off a pretty good uh, segment. Uh, and next week we're going to move into Module 2, Chapter 5, which is niching down. And um, Niching down is really all about um, the decisions that you make to become so specialist in one particular area mm. uh, and the way that you can deliver uh, a new and interesting proposition by uh, uh, in, that, in that particular area by focusing squarely on the niche um, and thereby giving you the opportunity to come up with something that's specialist in nature uh, and will no doubt be overlooked by the major com- major competitors and therefore you can commence your initiative to uh, begin competing in its consumption like we did in the individual immigration services space seven years ago. Mm. Now I've got we've got a couple of minutes left so I have a, a basic general business question for you you know most people when they start a, a business they write a business plan they have a one-year two-year five-year plan a 10-year plan perhaps um, when you have a look at your business, the, the Visa Center in particular, after the number of years that you've been running it now, has it gone to plan or have you made any serious directional changes that were needed? Well, mate, that's a, a fantastic question because the whole idea behind intelligent content marketing is to sort of chart the complete journey that Martin and I have traveled, you know, since the day that we made the decision that we needed to come back into Hong Kong immigration. And we had no plan at the outset beyond the fact that we were going to develop a high quality content platform and we were going to try and sell remotely using new and interesting tools via the web. We didn't know how that was going to pan out. In fact, we knew that we'd be successful in creating relationships because of our free content proposition because we'd originally been successful with that between 96 and 2000. But as regards, you know, a, a, a formal plan to execute that we would have followed for seven years, absolutely not, none whatsoever. Um, the whole intelligent content marketing and the Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing website uh, sets out, in a sense, it's the antithesis of a plan. It's everything that we learned as we were making it up as we went along, but guided by all the research uh, that I was doing and the learning the things that I need to learn from my intellectual heroes. And then after the fact, through the power of free and the Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing, sort of laying out the plan, if you will, that others could sort of emulate for themselves. But no, um, it was very much a case of suck it and see and uh, we were doing a lot of sucking and a lot of seeing as we went along and, uh, and so and you could do that because you went in with minimal risk if you had you know at the beginning of the show you said you didn't want to compete with your major competitors in an industrial economy way is that because of the sheer cost of setting up a business to take them on yeah, that's right. We, I was, I was almost, almost bankrupt. I had no means whatsoever to build a bricks and mortar immigration practice at the outset. Uh, I was living in Western Australia, which means I was divorced from my jurisdiction, Hong Kong. Uh, Martin, thankfully, was living in Hong Kong, and Ruby, uh, my PA of many, many years, uh, was still in Hong Kong. So between the three of us, we were able to organize the necessary resources to deliver on a service proposition that was driven by creating relationships 
um, by having developed a high co- high quality content platform. Mm. Uh, so so that, that that that's the the ultimate message from you know the Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing, power free and intern monopoly, is that you don't need a lot of resources to compete uh, in the connection economy because you're going to do it in a new and interesting way. You're going to use you know the the stuff that's inside your head, your expertise, which doesn't cost you anything. You're going to use you know web technologies, which essentially cost you cost you nothing. Um, and you're going to use modern connection economy techniques, all predicated on the ideas of, of my intellectual heroes and others that are all manifested in our material and intelligent content that marketing. Um, and you don't have to be uh, concerned at all about how much it's going to cost you. You're just going to have to put your head down and, and recognize that, that, you know, this is a long term play and your competitors are not going to be able to uh, emulate you until they really know what what you're doing and how you've done it, and then they won't understand how successful you've been because they don't have access to the data inputs that you have that you naturally generate when you develop a content platform like we've done. And I'm going to suggest that anybody else, you know, that wants to sort of emulate us would do as well. Mm. So, no, you uh, there's no there's no formal plan as such. There's just, you know, the power of free today first by monopoly and uh, and then sort of you know understanding those those ideas and then applying those ideas to what you know best in the context of, of your particular expertise and your particular niche now you you relied on your intellectual heroes having written books written articles you have done the same a period of videos too yeah you have done uh, the same yeah, well, via intelligent content well, that- marketing that's that's absolutely right. But I've I've reduced I've reduced it all down to video as far as I, as much as I can, and all the raw sources that uh, gave me my insights and you know helped me do the thinking that I needed to do to sort of uh, craft the proposition that we've got in play today. Mm. So intelligent content that marketing the encyclopedia is if you're interested any of your listeners are interested in this is where they need to go and and, and just you know begin to wade your way through the material and 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 understand these ideas and and get a complete picture of you know how we've done it and then you start thinking about how you can emulate uh what we've done in your own particular niche using the techniques that we've adopted and we've proven all the time fantastic mr barnes thank you very much good sir we shall catch up again next week fascinating as always digital bacon fm now that you know how to compete against non-consumption Join us in the next discussion for more details about how to segment the market that you wish to address and call it a niche of your very own.